Have no fear of missing out. The show's about FOMO. Your host is Brian Franzo. I'll tell you what you don't know. And now, your host, iSocial Fans. Welcome back to another episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast. And I'm fired up. I, I just came off of an amazing event in Atlanta. I kind of previewed that in the last episode where I hosted three days of uh, a great social media event called Social Shakeup uh, in there in Atlanta. And I ran a workshop. I moderated a couple panels. Uh, I also, of course, um, you know, uh, hosted the entire event. So I got to introduce my good friends, Andrew Davis uh, and Ann Hanley, as well as a bunch of other speakers, the founder of uh, the founders of Sk- The Skim. Uh, uh, which was an email newsletter turned into an entire brand, uh, as well as J- as Jamie, uh, bunch of just a bunch of great guests, great people there at that event. And one of the things that I've you know I've talked about a lot, uh, you know, just kind of in my business and my brand, is I truly love moderating panels. Like I really take a lot of pride and passion into moderation. Part of it also has to do kind of with um, interviewing. Like I really enjoy interviewing people. Uh, If you guys don't remember, I did an interview show, a little over 400 episodes of an interview show over on Google Plus uh, called Social Business Hour, where I interviewed a wide variety of people uh, leaders on social business topics while I was also running a simultaneous Twitter chat. So I had a Twitter chat going on one screen while I was interviewing someone on video. People could watch the Twitter chat, add their comments, or watch on Google Plus and watch the video. Uh, it was a it was a whale oiled machine back in the day, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And I've always enjoyed moderating panels and really bringing in what that means. And so even if you're not a speaker, even if you're not doing this, I'm going to give you some tips when you're interviewing people, or maybe if you're even just having a conversation with someone where your goal isn't for you to sound like the smartest, but ultimately your goal is to provide you know, a kind of a, a good message between the two of you. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to uh, be a good moderator or a great moderator or a great interviewer or a great host. I'm going to give some tips on how I do it. Uh, one of the things that you guys might be surprised about to learn is why I don't use questions. And if I do use questions, I try to give the guests about a hundred different questions to answer. Uh, I'll jump into that more. I'll, that's a little tease. I'll, I'll get into that at near the end of this episode. I'm gonna kind of break down to that. But you know, in this world we're living in today, you know, anyone, I, I believe everyone has a story to tell. I believe every single person, no matter your background, no matter your, uh, you know, your orientation, no matter what your job is, everyone has a story to tell. But when it comes to telling your story, it is difficult to tell your story. Uh, Ultimately, you out of the gate, it's very difficult to tell your story because it's kind of unnatural a little bit on like telling who you are, why you are. For some people, it's a little bit easier, but I would say for most people, kind of uh, quote unquote sharing who you are at the core, uh, what you're about, where you've come from, that's usually saved from like a more intimate conversation that most people have. And I think that's kind of why it's such a difficult task to begin with. But one of the things I talk about a lot, especially a lot on this podcast, is that I always believe that people have started on the wrong place when it comes to telling their story. I believe most people go to tell their story and they tell their story where they believe their audience is. 
And I think that's not the best place to start. I think the best place to start telling your story is actually where you are most comfortable. So if you're most comfortable telling your story uh, on video or just talking or maybe it's blogging or maybe it's through pictures, whatever that may be, or maybe it's through Instagram stories doing 10 to 15 second clips, I believe where you start telling your story is essential because if you don't, if you're not somewhere where you're most comfortable, it's going to be very difficult for you to uh, keep your, keep the momentum and learn and grow. And, and so for me, you know, I talk about this a lot, but the reason I feel so uh, natural on stage when I'm, I'm giving my keynote you know, presentations or I'm telling a story is because I've been a guest on about 150 podcast episodes. I've hosted over 300 podcast episodes. I've done over 300 interviews myself. I've done over 3,000 live videos. So when it comes to sharing my story, when it comes to putting myself out there, when it comes to when someone asks me a question that I'm not uh, familiar with or I wasn't prepared for, I can answer the question while at the same time pulling from that bank of memory of all of these times where I've told a story or I've used an example or I've talked about you know my ADHD or I talked about the fact I was the president of my fraternity, whatever it may be. And interestingly enough, with video, I've always said that, you know, live video, when people are staring into their phone, like staring into their phone, that's very intimidating for a lot of people. But if you give them a web camera and you set them up in front of their laptop, a lot of people are familiar with that because they've done webinars or group chats on Zoom or Slack or whatever it may be. And so part of it's about getting comfortable. And so one of the things when it comes to being a great interviewer, a great host, a great moderator, this is one of the things that I think is essential to understand. Just because you are a great individual speaker does not make you a great moderator. Just because you are a great panelist does not make you a great moderator. Just because you like to talk does not make you a great moderator or interviewer. This, the interviewing moderator skill set is something that is unique. It's, it's a very unique combination of listening, learning, understanding goals, being able to empower other people to look good while still incorporating your view and your vision into the conversation without it being about yourself. And to me, this is this is an overwhelming task. And the crazy part is I don't believe most events, most organizers value this position very much. I think oftentimes when they have a sponsor and the sponsor is supposed to get stage time, they're like, well, that's fine. You can just moderate this panel. The panelists are all good or there's a bunch of good brands that have lots of good things to say. Like, we're just going to throw it out there to them. We're just going to give them that that moderator just kind of sit up there and call people's names. And here's the thing. Being a great moderator is probably one of the hardest things to do in an entire event. Being a great interviewer, I mean, look at podcasts right now. There's some great podcasts or great hosts of podcasts that really suck at interviewing. There's a lot of people that really, you know, and, and part of that is because I don't believe they set things up correctly, but I also think they don't invest the time ahead of time or during an interview to understand all of these different nuances. And so I'm going to give you guys what my tricks are, some of the things that I require if I'm moderating a panel or if I'm doing a fireside chat, or even if I'm interviewing someone uh, via Skype or Zoom or whatever it may be. And so the first thing out of the gate that I want to kind of share with you is for me, the, the, the most key thing about being a moderator or being an interviewer is down to the word that we've all heard a lot, right? And it's the word trust. And that trust is extremely important, probably even more so than anything else you're doing when you're working with somebody else. Because here's, here's where it comes into fact. 
the person that the people that are on a panel and I, and I moderated a couple panels this week and I'm gonna, I'm gonna use those as some references but I moderated a panel with two people I moderated a panel with three people and I moderated a panel with six people on um, this past week and it was very interesting right very it was a fun dynamic but here's one of the things that I require when I'm moderating a panel is that I, I try to convey I, I actually come out and say this and I tell them I want you to trust me that my job as a moderator, as a facilitator of this conversation is to make you look good and prov- and link the, the way that you look good to what the audience needs and what the audience wants to get out of this conversation. Let me say that again. My job as a moderator, especially on a panel, is to make each one of the panelists look good, share what they hope to share, but at the same time, link that to what the audience wants. I think oftentimes this is where moderators go wrong is they either focus only on the, what the audience wants and they don't make the panelists look good or they just serve up softballs to the panelists and the panelists go into their robotic uh, answering of whatever the heck that might be and then it becomes a disconnected uh, conversation to the audience. And we've all been in there. I, I, I unfortunately believe that most panels and most conferences suck and it has little to do with the top it has little to do with the panelists themselves it's the fact that the moderator isn't setting themselves up for success the moderator isn't investing the time and so here's a couple of things that i do so first thing i do is i want to convey this trust i also let them know let each one of the panelists know that i've done a little bit of research on the panelists so when someone gives me a panel to moderate oftentimes i try to help work as a moderator i want to pick the title and the description of, of the actual um the panel, but I also want to do that after I talk to my panelists. And so one of my biggest things that when I'm talking to them is I say, you know, for me as a moderator, I have just as much uh, to lose as you guys do as a panelist if this panel fails. But I have, I, I have less to gain because for me, this isn't about me conveying my thought leadership, rather me conveying my ability to understand the needs of the panel as well as the needs of the audience. And so uh, my good friend, Erin Gargan King, I just jumped in. She said, uh, what's the biggest tip for making sure the panel isn't boring like when everyone just agrees and so here's what here's how I kind of set that up and so here's one of my number one rules when I'm moderating a panel is that well and I say it's a rule but I've had a I've had a gently kind of balance this is that I don't do questions you don't get to submit your questions. I'm not going to give you a bunch of questions um, to answer as a panelist. What I'm going to do is I want each one of my panelists to tell me two things. Now, if it's a six-person panelist, I always say two. If it's a smaller panel, I did a panel with two people, and I asked them for four. But what I asked them for is what are two key things that you would love the audience to take away from the panel. If you, if I went up to somebody after this panel and I asked them what they thought about your, your addition to this panel, I want you to give me two key insights. It might be a data point. It might be something about you as your company. It might be whatever that may be. I want those two data points. And what I do is I take each one of those data points from each one of my panelists and I put it in a giant list. And then what I do is I then survey the audience. Sometimes I do that in person. Uh, I was lucky enough at the event last week where I spent the first day of the event. Anytime someone was talking to me, uh, I was moderating this giant uh, closing uh, influencer panel. And what I said to uh, everyone when they came up to ask me questions, I said, what are your thoughts on influencer marketing? And if you had a chance to ask any influencer a question, what would be the question you would ask them? 
And so I'm asking the audience to give me questions. I'm asking the panelists to give me takeaways of what they hope the audience gets out of this conversation. And then I opened up my notes app on my iPhone and I took a couple notes. And so that's how I kind of build the framework. Now, the reason I said that sometimes I have to give questions, there's oftentimes where people don't trust me. Yes, I know, as, as, as hard as that might be for you guys that are listening to this to, to understand, there are often times where people don't trust me. They think I'm just a fast-talking, loud, hat, backwards hat-wearing, self-centered, egotistical maniac. And they're like, Brian, I want questions because I want to know what you're going to ask because I do not trust you to go uh, to ask me things that I can answer and I don't trust you and I, I need to be programmatic and this whole thing scares me. And so here's what I usually do. If someone is mandating that I give them questions. I give them more questions than they could ever handle or that I could ever answer or ask in that panel. So if it's a 30-minute panel, I'll, I'll give them 20 questions. And I'll say, these are the 20 questions that I would love for you to, to kind of keep in mind. I'm going to ask any variety. I could ask only two of these questions. I could ask all 20 of these questions. And uh, and But I, I just want you to know, like, so look, if someone is mandating that, because there's a lot of times when I work, I, I was moderating a panel at Oracle, and there was an executive there that was like, if I don't get questions from the moderator, I'm not going to be on the panel. And I was like, okay. So I gave them a whole bunch of questions because here's the thing. When you give them too many questions, they decide to look over it and they kind of get a general idea of what to say. If you give them five questions and say, these are the five questions that I'm going to ask. And we all know every moderator says the same thing. I'm going to try to make this a conversation and I don't want you to just answer the questions verbatim, but here are the five questions I'm going to uh, to ask you. So what does every panelist do? They go memorize five answers for each one of them and five stories that, that can back them up and inevitably the, po the, the moderator gets up there and asks them the first question and they go into... That's a great question, John. Thank you for asking that. And then they go into their canned answer, which is full of, you know, strategic PR marketing crap. And everybody in the audience goes, oh, God, this is going to be so boring. Because it is. Because if we wanted your PR stance, we would read your, your press releases. If we wanted to hear the marketing spiel of you answering a question, we would go to your website. The whole point of a panel is to foster a conversation or a discussion. And so here's the th other thing about the way that I do it, when I ask people for their two takeaways, one of the things that I love to do you know, uh, before the panel starts is I say, hey, these are the two takeaways, right? Remember, my goal is to make you look good, right? Make you look good because I want to kind of set you up for success. I want, I want to make this something that is really good. And these are the two things you want people to remember, right? And they're like, yep, yep, yep. And I was like, just so you know, is there anything that is off limits? So here's, here's the other part of this, right? So I told you guys, I don't like to give questions. I ask for two takeaways they want the audience to, uh, to answer. And then just before the panel, either the day before or if I meet with them an hour before they go up there, I ask them for some, if there's anything that's off limits. Now, what I like to say is I don't want rules. Don't tell me what I can't talk about. Tell, give me some swim lanes. Like, Brian, you can talk about this, but because we have, um, we're going public soon, I might have to plead the fifth on this. And I, and I will tell them, it's perfectly okay if you say that you can't answer something. Just make sure you give a reason to why you can't answer that when we're on stage because nobody wants a jerk that says, sorry, I can't answer that. And the reason is is because you don't know the answer. And so I kind of set all of these things in motion ahead of time. And I will tell you this. I also do my research on what the last blog post or what that person has been talking about on their social channels prior to the panel. 
So I asked them for their two takeaways. I asked the audience for questions they would love to ask the panelists. And then I go to their social accounts and I see what they've shared. I see what they're current talking about. And I usually put down three bullets underneath each name of things that they care about, things they're talking about, maybe even a session that they're, they're also providing at the same event. And I will tell you, a couple of people are asking this that are watching the podcast live. I have been turned down for moderating panels because this is my process. Um, I'm okay with that. Uh, for me as a moderator, my goal is to make everyone up on stage look good. If an event is not going to empower me to do so, I will not take that off. Or I'm okay being turned down. I have also turned down multiple different panels that I've been um, asked to be on as a guest as well as asked to be on as a moderator because I don't believe it's going to be an overall value. You know, I One of my, my things that I struggle with as a panelist is I like to talk. I do not like silence, and I have an answer for just about everything. Not always the right answer. I'm not afraid to say I don't know, but I will warn other panelists if I'm on as a panelist that I like to talk a lot, and if nobody jumps in when a question is not directed towards somebody, which is also something wrong, um, then I'm going to jump in, and if you don't get a word in edgewise, it's not my fault for talking too much. It's your fault for not stepping up and jumping into the conversation, but I digress on that for a minute. So what I told you guys so far, I remember I, I asked for two Two takeaways from each panelist. I ask the audience, and then I, I go to their, their social channels, and I try to write down three things. And it might be um, that they're looking forward to their first Mother's Day. It might be that they're a huge Game of Thrones fan. Whatever it may be, I write down like three things so that when I'm going through and maybe I've already asked someone a question or they answered something uh, ahead of time, I can kind of link something in the, in the conversation. Now, the other part of this, a little bit of it has to do with the schematics of what's on stage. And I will tell you, what I'm going to share with you guys right now is something that most people don't do. Even most event professionals will tell you this is wrong, and I'm here to tell you they're full of crap. And what I do is I mandate that every panelist has a handheld microphone. Every panelist has a handheld microphone. Here's the reason. Most panelists don't know each other. Most panelists don't know when to cut in or when to jump into a conversation. When you're with your friends, the reason conversations are great is because you understand each other and you don't mind cutting each other off and you know when to jump in and, and have a conversation. But when you're on a panel or you were just set up on a panel or you were forced to be on a panel, that dynamic does not exist. What, what the handheld microphone does is it allows the panelist, if someone's answering a question and one of the other panelists has something to add, they naturally pick up the, the handheld microphone and start putting it to their mouth so that they can jump in immediately. What that does for me as a moderator is it signals that I can, rather than following up with a question or following up with kind of recycling something, I can lead them to this other person that has something to say. It's a nonverbal cue that allows the panelist to signal not only the, the other panelist, but me as the moderator that they have something to jump in. I believe most panels are really boring when it's just question, 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 or even worse, they ask one question and they make every panelist answer it every single time. That's to me is, is extremely boring, ex extremely uh, disconnected. And so I require that every single uh, person on the panel has a, a handheld microphone. Now, for me as the moderator, I can either have uh, you know one over my ear, a lavalier, or a handheld. As a moderator, it matters a little bit less. It's more of the idea of I want the, the, the panelists to be able to have that dynamic uh, between each other. 
Now, to prevent the boredom and to kind of link the conversations, one of the things that I think is really funny is that we oftentimes, and, and I will, and just to put this in context, after I get everybody's um, two takeaways that they want, I build out my own questions. So I'm not saying that as a moderator, when I go up on stage, I have no questions to ask. That's not what I said. I don't allow the panelists to see my questions, and I don't allow them to provide me questions, and I do not provide them questions before the panel starts. What I want them to understand is who I am, what I'm about, because this is the other part of this that makes it all work really well, is because I've done my research with the audience and I understand the goals of each one of my panelists, what I can do now is I can actually facilitate an engaged conversation without having to be driven only by questions. Most of the time when you've given people questions, those questions become how you drive people into the discussion. When you don't have quite, when they don't have questions in front of them, when, and this is the way I do that is if someone's answering something and I know based on my research that another panelist has a counterpoint, what I will do is be like, after someone answers, I'd be like, wow, Monique, that was really interesting. I love that your take on there. Now, Kat, at your company, I know you're a, you have a little bit different take on that. What are your thoughts on what Monique had to say? Do you see how I did that? So the difference there and, the, and, and how we shift this whole th- you know, moderation conversation, which is kind of a funny little rant there, um, is that when you're moderating something, it's oftentimes the questions become your crutch. The questions become your... Okay, well, that was a good answer. Hopefully, we get a different you know, answer to the next question, right? So the, I, am never, I am never held captive by the questions because I'm the only one that has seen the questions. Now, I can tell you, this, is, this requires the event to trust me as well. And, and the other part of this I want to kind of shape for you guys is that as a moderator, as an interviewer, here is what your goal should be. And I think this is where a lot of people go wrong as well. For me as a moderator... And we hear this all the time. Great moderators and great interviewers, it's not about them, it's about their guest. Well, here's the thing. We're all up there. We got time in front of the microphone. It's easy to say it's about everyone else and not yourself, but you don't want to become a question question reading person. You don't want to be a like a talking head. So you do have to incorporate your your information, your insights into this dialogue, but doing it in a way that is unique. And here's how I think of it. My job as a moderator or an interviewer or facilitator of conversation as a host is not to make the audience believe that I am smart, not to convince the audience that I know what I'm talking about. Rather, I want the panelists to love me. I want the panelists to feel amazing. So my goal is two front. I want every panelist, when they stand up to shake my hand, say, the first thing they almost always say is, Brian, that was super easy. I could have done another hour on stage. That's what I get. That's the feedback I get almost every panel that I moderate. The second thing I always get is, Brian, thanks so much for you know, making it so easy for me to um, come home with some of these points that I wanted to cover, right? So my job as a moderator, it's twofold. The first one is to make the panelists look good and for me to... Um, connect with them at a very deep level, kind of building that trust. The second one is I want to make the event organizer or whoever picked these panelists for this panel to feel like they hit a home run. Let me, let me say that again. I want the person that decided the, the people that were on the panel to feel like they hit a home run. That is different than the, the audience being, you know, me appealing to the audience that Brian Fanzo is an expert. And so what I say, what I mean by that is oftentimes 
because you guys know I have a lot to say and I'm very opinionated. The way that I incorporate my opinion into a panel that I am moderating is when I am recycling or I'm um, adding context to a, a point that someone made so that I can segue it to someone else. So a perfect example of this is I was on with the, the founders of the skim, uh, the skim, which was an email newsletter turned into a giant brand uh, focused on uh, you know talking about the things that nobody's talking about for millennial aged females. And the founders of the skim were amazing on stage. They were a lot of fun. But one of the things that I found was that was interesting in our, our panel discussion is they gave some great insights on how they know their audience and how they love talking to millennials and how they've really dialed in and that's why they have 50 million subscribers uh, to their email newsletter. And so what I did is as they answered that question, I was like, I love that. You know, I'm a proud pager-wearing millennial. And, and, you know, and one of the stats that the marketers here in the audience know is that 80, you know, is that 61% of all e-commerce spend at this moment in 2019 is also being, is happening by those millennials. So if you panelists, as you, as you millennial experts for the female millennials here, what would you say is some advice for the audience for reaching those millennials that you have captivated so well? Now, do you guys understand how I did that, right? So what I did there is that I took their conversation on millennials. I incorporated it by kind of boosting it. I added a data point that I knew off the top of my head based on what I expected them to talk about. I also connected with the audience and said, the audience as marketers would like to know this. And then I repurposed that question back to them. So they answered the question about um, their direct audience and how, the, how well they know their consumer. I took that, added a data point, framed it from the audience's perspective, and re-asked the same question. And this time when they answered it, it was completely different. In depth, off the cuff, they ended up having a little fun with it. They ended up bantering between the two of them, and the dialogue was amazing. And so this is one of those factors that if I had a bunch of questions that I needed to get through, when they answered the question about they understand the persona of their customer... I would have just jumped to the next question because that's what the questions lead you to. But because I knew that that their answer wasn't shaped to a marketer's audience, I took that upon myself as a moderator to repackage it. And I didn't say, I'm going to ask you guys this question again, right? Like, Giving that kind of context makes the the guest feel like their last answer was dumb or their last answer wasn't you know wasn't what you were looking for and you don't ever 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 as a moderator want the the panelists to make them to feel as if that you didn't like their answer. What your job as a moderator is if they didn't give you the answer that you want you think the audience wants, it's now your job to reshape the conversation and ask the question in a different manner to lead them towards the answer that you're hoping that they're going to be willing to give. And this is what takes a lot of work. I mean, I, I pride myself on this. And I can tell you, um, Anne Hanley, Anne was at the uh, event in the front row, and she said, Brian, when you were moderating that panel, at one point, I saw you like looking at them, but I couldn't tell if you were actually listening. And I was hoping you were listening. And then as soon as they were done answering, you recycled their question and, and brought it back in. And I said, well, Anne, what I'm doing there is I'm looking at my questions, I'm looking at what they told me, I'm moderating the time, I'm listening to the panelists answer the question, and I'm reading the body language of the audience to, to decide if this question needs more context, more things added to it, or if I can move on to another question or another discussion. And so that's what I do as a moderator. And I think these are things that everyone and anyone can do. And part of it is about just taking the time, doing the research, and kind of making it happen. 
Now, with that being said, I want to give some love to our sponsor. And so our sponsor for this episode of the FOMO Fans Podcast is actually the platform that is hosting uh, my new website. If you guys know, my new speaker website is brianfanzo.com. So if you guys check out brianfanzo.com, you guys can check out uh, my new website. And it is actually hosted on fable.co. So F-A-B-L dot C-O. I'm going to put that uh, link in the in the bio below uh, for this show show notes of this show, but Fable is a a content platform that is focused on elevating your story. It's not WordPress. It's actually a different, uh, you know, platform than, than WordPress. But one of the things that I, that I really like about it is that it allows me to craft stories and provide dynamic content and dynamic conversations through my website. So if you guys want to see what it looks like, check out brianfanzo.com. You can see that entire site is actually hosted on fable.com. And on our next episode, I'm going to give you a link for a special discount, a special um, offer that Fable is offering just for you guys, the FOMO fans listeners. So you guys are going to be able to check that out. Check out fable.co. I really appreciate uh, Fable for sponsoring this podcast and being the engine that integrates my content and helps me elevate my story as far as my website. So thank you, uh, Fable.co, for sponsoring this episode of FOMO Fans. So now I've told you guys a little bit about what you know, how I kind of set the stage for panelists uh, and guests and interviews when I'm doing interviews. The other part of this that I think is extremely important is that you as a moderator has to understand the theme and the trends of the event that you're speaking at. Does that make sense? Okay. And this is something that most people, this is probably the area where I think most moderators completely fail. Because here's the thing. If an entire event is talking about the importance of transparency and focus, yet the panelist answers are completely counter to what the event theme is about, there's going to be an immediate disconnect between the panelists and the audience. I think the, one of the things that panels struggle with is that, yes, there's going to be lots of different opinions, but as a moderator, it's your job to connect those opinions to an overall arching theme for the event. So I feel like every moderator that is moderating a panel should attend the event the day before, or if it's an early-in-the-day panel, they should, have, they should have a sit-down with the event manager and understand exactly what the event manager wants to get out of this event or what's the theme of the opening keynote or at the worst case if you're a moderator uh, and you're getting there you know on day two of the event go on to the hashtag for that event on twitter and listen and read a bunch of the different tweets and just take notes on what the common theme is maybe the common theme is customer experience is the new marketing maybe the new the, the theme is um innovation and change are happening uh embrace it whatever that may be because the other part for your as a moderator is not only to make the panelists look good, but it's to connect it with the audience. And one of the easiest ways to do that is by using callbacks to other presentations. So I was doing this influencer panel. I had six influencers on the panel with me uh, on Wednesday this past week. And each influencer was from a different background. It was actually a lot of fun. One was a travel influencer. One was a beauty influencer. One was a fashion influencer. One was a technology influencer. One was a local Atlanta um, event influencer. So I had all these influencers, different opinions, different views. But it was at the end of the, the third day of this event 
And so what I, what I did was I knew that some of the conversation would be about having a niche as an influencer. Some of the conversation would be that influencer marketing isn't the same as what it used to be, but it's a good place that we're going. And so what I was able to do is I was actually able to call back into Andrew Davis's opening keynote, different points that someone made. So someone made a point about, well, for me as an influencer, my job is to focus on what my, um, my direct a community wants and that, that focus is key as soon as she was done saying that I'm like well the audience here everyone here in the audience has heard that because yesterday morning Andrew Davis told told everybody that as marketers we need to be more focused on what we're doing and understand how to deliver this content and I was like and isn't it interesting that influencers also have the same need for focus so if you're a marketer and you're an influencer that's just another thing that we have in common and if you guys see how I did that, what I did was I called back to a previous presentation to build trust because the audience had already heard that, right? And so because they heard it from someone else and they're now hearing it from the panel discussion, it actually adds validity and it makes it something more memorable. It's actually backing up the earlier presentation and adding validity to what the person on that panel has to say. And so I think that is something that is extremely valuable and extremely important. Now, I'm going to give you guys a couple other things when it comes to interviewing someone or it comes to making these panels and things less boring. And one of the other things is you as a moderator have to realize that it is a dictatorship and you are the dictator. Yes, that's kind of scary, right? And it, just coming off of Game of Thrones, you need to be the dictator like uh, you know Danny was on the dragon, right? You need to make your own decision and own it. Therefore, if someone is rambling on, you need to come up with a creative way to cut them off or to signal to them that you have something to, else to add. I've gone as far as to like tapping, tacking, and like kind of getting their attention and being like, hold on, let me bring that back. Or even jumping in and saying, wow, that's some great insight. Before you get into that detail, let me give you a follow-up question with the next panelist. And here's the thing, being good at cutting someone off without out coming cross like a rude dick is a, is, a, is a tactic of a great moderator and a great interviewer. I am someone that talks a lot. I'm someone that talks fast, but I, I love a moderator that will cut me off. I love a moderator that will jump in while I'm saying something and want to add something to it as well. There, and I even tell, you know, I think as a panelist, it's also our job to get and give the moderator a little bit of background. Like anyone that's moderating me, and it's funny, some of the people that are watching live right now, they've actually um, had me as a panelist and they've been one of my moderators. And they'll, they'll attest that I will go up to them and say, hey guys, I talk fast, I hate silence and I believe I have I have an answer for this entire theme so feel free to cut me off feel free to tell me not to jump in feel free to even say something like I want um, someone to ask uh, answer this question other than Brian like I am not offended by that, right? Like it's it's for me as a panelist, I want to give the moderator as much runway to to do it their way as a dictatorship because here's the thing that why I think moderating a panel is everything. You only have a set amount of time. And the people that are up there on the panel have usually in their head a, a set amount of things to say. And just because a panelist wants to say something, just because the title of the event is or the, the panel is that, it does not mean that it's the right place or the right time to add that context. I, there is nothing worse than a panel where that person, people go, yeah, I have the same answer as that person. If, if someone, if a panelist is answering by saying, well, I really don't have anything to add or I have the same answer as someone else, the moderator has failed. The moderator sucks at their job. And here's the thing. If you're interviewing, it's okay. 
you can take these same tactics with Facebook Live, the same tactics if you host a podcast, the same tactics if you run a Twitter chat. These are all tactics that you can implement. My good friend Jen Cole is in uh, the live video right now. And Jen and Julie, uh, my two good friends uh, that do a amazing Facebook Live show where they interview local uh, businesses in their uh, Wichita uh, community, they, they do a great job of allowing the business owners to tell their story, but they also wrap it back in to their overall messaging. And I think this is one of those keys that you have to be able to listen, but don't listen for your turn to talk. Listen for your ability to link what they have to say to who the audience is. I will tell you this. This is what, and this is some inside baseball that I'm going to give you guys here at the end of this episode. When I'm listening to someone answer a question, do you want to know what I'm listening for? I'm listening for their tweetable. Let me say that again. When I ask someone a question, I am not listening to their entire answer because like I said, in my head, I have to think about the, the clock. I have to think about my next question. I have to read the audience. What I, what I actually listen for is what is the tweetable that they're going to say? What is that one soundbite from their answer to my question that is of direct value? And then when I hear that, what I think to it myself immediately as the host is, is that tweetable relative to the audience? If it is, I am not going to bundle the answer. I don't have to re, you know, kind of bring that answer back around. I can jump into the next conversation. If I think it might be a little disconnected for the audience, my job now is to take that tweetable and make it a valuable tweetable for everyone that is in the audience watching this panel or watching this interview or listening to this interview. And that right there is the number one skill. And if you do not know how to listen while also doing other things, and if you're not willing to understand the audience that your panel is speaking to, I don't care how great the answers are. If the answers don't meet the expectations of the audience, the panel will suck. I was at Inbound, which is an event hosted by HubSpot, and I listened to three of the worst panels that I've ever heard in my entire life. And unfortunately, one of them, Serena Williams, was on, and one of them, Anna Hendricks, was on. And I love Anna Hendricks. I think Serena Williams is a genius. She is an inspiration. She is a leader. She is someone I want my daughters to look up to. But the moderator did a horrible job of only trying to please Serena or only trying to please Anna Hendricks. And here's the thing. If you have a celebrity, if you have someone that is stuck in their ways, it, the panel will still, it does not have to suck if the panelist is stuck in their ways. If you as a moderator knows how to repackage their answer, connect it with the audience and make it lead into the next question. Let me say that again. If the panelists are robotic and they are stuck in their ways, the panel does not have to suck. If you as a moderator know how to repackage their answer and put it in the context of the audience and then lead it into your next question. And I'm gonna give you guys an example of that. I was, it was during this last panel that I gave and someone up there on, you know, on the influencer panel that I was giving just made the comment that you have to, you know, you have to be very selective as an influencer and it's not your full-time job. And so if it's not your full-time job, you also have to know the priorities of the influencer. Now there was a bunch of marketers in the audience and for the marketers, I'm like, Ooh, I'm not sure if they're going to want to hear that an influencer says they got better things to do than to um, answer every email request that comes in. So the way I did that was I was like, Oh, that's a great intake. And I was like, and, and we as marketers know that we have lots of 
things going on and we have lots of things coming into our in- email inbox and wouldn't we all like the 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 in the emails that are coming in to have the mess boast the best chance for success so what she's saying here is that for you as marketers when you're reaching out to influencers make sure that you're dialed in and you understand their story and you're able to connect what your brand messaging is to that influencer so that influencer feels like that email is worth their time And all of a sudden, I took an answer that she gave that might have been a little bit hard for the marketer to understand, and I repackaged it. And then what I did off the end of that is, you know, and it's kind of hard to make that understand. Now, when it comes to understanding, influencer data is always a mess. And hey, Julie, I know you work with, uh, as an influencer agency, with a lot of data. What are some of the key data points that marketers can look for? And so what I did was, I took that one answer that could be disconnected. I repackaged it for the audience, and I led it into my next question, which was, for the another, which was for another panelist. That, to me, is the art of being a great moderator. Moderator, host, interviewer should not be something that you throw at people. It should be something that someone cares about, someone cares about the panelist. It should be someone that's willing to put in the time and effort to make all of this happen. And, and lastly, one of the things that I want to put out there is that I don't believe panels, uh, I think I believe actually panels are just as vital as a keynote presentation within organizations, but I believe a lot of events are getting rid of panels because they don't know how to make panels better. And here's the answer, incentivize, understand the value of a moderator. I would even say, you know, pay a moderator, put money behind the moderator and let them know, I want you to spend a couple hours before the event, a couple hours the day of the event, and I want you to actually care about the pe- making the people on the panel success. Because here's the funny part. Most time with panels, we get lots of big brands and logos. And those brands and logos sell tickets because people are like, ooh, the NFL is there. Ooh, someone, you know, Self Magazine, the founder of Self Magazine is up there on that panel. But sadly, the place where we're most disappointed are the panels from the brands that are the reason that we're selling tickets. And if you want to sell tickets to next year's event, you need to invest in the moderators to make sure those panelists deliver so that those brands that those people care about, they're actually getting actionable takeaways. Nothing hurts me more than when someone says, Brian, I came to this event because I heard that this brand was talking. But your talk was way better because that brand just robotically answered every question and didn't give me any value. As you guys can tell, I'm fired up. I think, to me, I love moderating panels. I love, I mean, I, as you guys can tell, this is something I take seriously. I work really, really hard at making this, um, making panels uh, successful. I, I work really hard at making fireside chats dynamic. But at, in the whole scheme of things, it's because I care. And so moderators need to care, which means you need to put the right moderator on the right panel. The right panelists have to be connected and moderators have to take their job serious because their job is not only facilitate the conversation and make sure it's valuable for the audience, but it's their job to make every panelist look good. And here's the craziest part. When I see a bad moderator, it hurts me and it alienates me from that person. If someone is a bad panelist, I usually don't judge them. So weirdly enough, we throw any person up there as a moderator, yet a bad moderator is pretty much dead to me. Because if someone is not good at helping other people tell their story and not good at investing their time and connecting a conversation to their audience, what value do they have to me? I've been massively disappointed by some great podcasts that are out there. And when I see that podcaster 
put onto a panel as a moderator, they suck at it. And here's why. They don't care because it's not their brand. It's not their podcast. It's not going to live on forever. And just because someone is a great interviewer on a podcast, just because someone is a great interviewer on their own show does not also mean they will care about moderating your panel unless you make them care, unless you incentivize them, unless you build it into their repertoire. I actually now have included in when someone hires me as a uh, event ambassador, I actually include in there that I will coach the other moderators. I will do group calls and help moderators go through what I just went through with you guys. I will help them tell the story with their panelists. I will even jump on the call with the moderator and the panelist to kind of make sure that conversation is good. And last but not least, when you have that pre-call as a moderator or you're sending out your initial email uh, with someone you want to interview on your show or on your Facebook Live, here's what you need to make sure that you're facilitating. Here's what it is. Trust. I started off this show by saying trust. Your job is not to convince them that your show is amazing. Your job is not to convince them that you picked the perfect guest. Your job is not to convince them that you have all the perfect questions to answer them. Your job is to facilitate and say, trust me to deliver this value to you guys. Trust me for you guys to kind of convey this conversation. Trust me to make you look good. I tell this to every single guest, every interview that I give that I that I'm facilitating. My job is to make you look good. My job is to make sure you cover the things you want to cover, but more importantly, my job is to facilitate the trust that I have in you with my audience because the as a moderator, that's my audience. These are my panelists. We're missing one leg of the triangle. And that is the connection and the trust between the panelists and the audience. A great moderator facilitates the last end of that triangle and builds that triangle of trust. The trust between the moderator and the panelists, the moderator and the audience, and the audience and the panelists. Guys, this is something that I care about a lot, as you can tell. I believe offline events are going to grow in importance the more we become uh, addicted to our screens, the more we, we, we are behind desks, before more we are integrating artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality. But here's the thing. Putting on a great offline event is not just putting on a great speaker. It's not just putting a bunch of brands on a stage. It's not about creating great topics of conversation or topics um, for each one of the sessions. It's about that connection, that trust, and building that entire triangle I believe most panelists most panels only have one triangle one leg of the triangle and that usually is between the moderator and the 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 audience themselves if you are a great moderator you're a great interviewer your job is to make that person you're talking to look good the person that hired them or brought them on your stage make them happy and proud that they picked the right person and then last but not least connect that conversation to the audience Hopefully you guys love this. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you let me know. As always, uh, this is a podcast. If you can leave a review on iTunes, I would appreciate that. Uh, if you guys didn't hear the new uh, iTunes uh, breaking news, there's actually a landing page for every episode of a podcast now. Uh, previously, when I would share a link uh, to a podcast episode, it would just link you to the iTunes homepage. But thankfully, you know, it's 2019. Welcome Apple to, uh, you know, modern age. They finally investing some time in, uh, in, in podcasting, they actually will now have a landing page that, that you can actually play the podcast in your browser without having to open up iTunes underneath it. 
It's amazing. So I will be sharing that link out for Apple iTunes. The other cool part about that, if you click on that link when you share it out, you follow me on iSocialFans, um, you can actually leave a review directly from that link as well. So it's kind of cool that Apple has done that. Uh, once again, a little shout out to my sponsor. My sponsor really uh, did a great job of, of taking care of me and, and, and really you know, allowing me to create a great, uh, not only a great website, but a great partnership. They are a great company that I really um, love working with Taj and their team. So you guys check out fable.co. Uh, if you want to see what it looks like, check out my new speaker site, brianfanzo.com. If you have an event, a company, association that you think I would be a great fit for for speaking, give them that website. I have my four most popular keynotes uh, up there. You can actually download the PDFs of the descriptions of each one of my keynote programs. I also customize and personalize different keynote programs for different audiences. Uh, this week, I'm actually flying to Kansas City uh, to work with the Digital Summit. So if you're in Kansas City, uh, come to the Digital Summit Kansas City. And the name of my talk that I'm giving there are 10 marketing lessons that we can take away from the Fire Festival. And if you've listened to this podcast and listened to every episode, you know that I have an episode that's dedicated strictly to the fire festival. Someone heard that episode and said, Hey, I would love for you to talk about that at my event. If there's a podcast episode that you guys like that you enjoy listening to here on the show, I would love to craft that into a keynote presentation for your community, for your association, for your event. That's all I got for you guys now until next time. My name is Brian Fanzo, better known as I social fans. Make it a great day. My friends, let's hope and pray that we can make panels great again and we can invest in moderators and make sure interviews are about this triangle of trust because I believe in it, I love doing it, but I still think we have a long way to go. Cheers, my friends. 